Chris Gelsley here with Matt Owl. On this episode of The First Run, we're going to discuss one of our most highly anticipated films of the year. Quentin Tarantino returns with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Matt, the film has already stirred up a bunch of controversy and divided its viewers. Are these all signs that point to a masterpiece in the making? Then it's going to be the latest from possibly the most visceral director working today, S. Craig Zalier, and his latest film, Dragged Across Concrete. Will the brutality and engagement continue? We'll discuss the big releases on Blu-ray and DVD, featuring the straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then finally, Matt and I are going to share with you our five favorite Quentin Tarantino characters. So are we happy? Oh, we happy. Let's hear a clip. Just, just look, just, just, just put them in the wardrobe, all right? What's it going to hurt? Then if you need them, you got them, all right? And then they got to have a conversation with that wardrobe assistant. And man, she's a bitch. I just don't. Right, please. Look, look Randy, I'm asking you to help me out, man. If the, if the answer's no, the, the answer's no. Not, not no with excuses. Hey, man. This ain't a Andy McLaughlin picture, you know? And I can't afford to hire a bunch of guys that smoke cigarettes and sit around talking to each other all day on the chance that I might use them. I got a four-man team here, Rick. If I need more than that, I got to get it approved. And, you know, I, I, I got to look after my dudes. Hey, hey and, and if your dudes were a better match for me, I'd say, oh, okay, you got me. But, but, but that, that's not the case, and you know it. He, he's a great match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, you could do anything you want to him. Th- th- throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a... Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just he's happy for the opportunity. That is Leonardo DiCaprio as our star, Rick Dalton, talking to the stunt coordinator played by Kurt Russell, Randy. Not stuntman Mike, which I think was some of the theories when he first showed right. up in the trailers. Right. He's trying to get his uh, buddy, Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, into the film because he's a stunt guy who's had a problem getting some work, which we may or may not get into why as we discuss this film. Matt, this movie features, as we said, Leo as Rick Dalton. He is a fading TV slash movie star trying to figure out what's going to happen next in his career. It's the late 60s. His best friend and his stunt double Brad Pitt, Cliff Booth, who is even possibly in a more precarious position in his career, and they're navigating the possible twilights of their careers. All the while, 1969 Hollywood is happening around them, and there is the looming specter of the Sharon Tate murders. Matt, let me ask you, just basic question. Once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, masterpiece or misfire? Uh, um, you only get those two choices. That's all I get. Then I'm going to say misfire. I, I will say this. This is the first Tarantino film that I watched that I've ever seen that I didn't have like an immediate visceral reaction to it while I was watching it. I mm-hmm. felt like I was just kind of there. And it's just this kind of meandering thing, which has these kind of flashes of, I hesitate to say brilliance, but they have it has these flashes of things that are there that I want to see or that are really good. But as a whole, I don't really understand what he's trying to say or what the point of the film is. And maybe that's my own failing, but I, I don't know where he's trying to go with this. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what it is. It's it's your own failing. So <laughs> I've seen this twice now. 
Okay. Okay. I saw it on my birthday as a treat to myself this past Thursday, and I went and saw it again last night. Now, as I'm watching this the first time, I'm thinking to myself, this isn't working. Right. I don't know what it is. We're just kind of meandering through the first two hours or so, two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. Of this film that progresses at a very leisurely pace. And then the final 20 minutes of it hit you like a sledgehammer. Right. That's when the, how do you put it, Matt? The, your expectations of Tarantino show up. Subverted. So, but the first three quarters, two thirds, whatever you want to call it, the first main part of the film, it's not Hateful Eight. It's not Django. It's not Pulp Fiction. It's not filled Mm -hmm. with snappy dialogue, people going back and forth, right? I mean, there are moments of that. Yes. But it's not a consistent run through through the entire running time of the film. Mm -hmm. What this is, is QT's kind of, it's a loving homage to the late 60s Hollywood. And I think how the whole country, let alone Hollywood, was forever changed after the Sharon Tate murders. Mm -hmm. As I'm watching this, as I said, I I was kind of like, what is happening here? But that everything kind of crystallized for me and it all kind of made sense then once. Everything goes crazy, right? This is just pure wish fulfillment. This Mm -hmm. is all about basically illustrating the world at that time, how we've changed since then, and that there is basically there was an innocence innocence lost there. You know, it ties in what with the '60s and the hippie culture in Vietnam, but also too how everything changed since since Sharon Tate and her friends were murdered, Mm -hmm. and it's. Tarantino's wish fulfillment are kind of to give those people the punishment that the, he felt that they truly deserved. And it is, I guess, kind of a, I don't want to even say it's like a buildup to that moment. It's more, we're just living and breathing in these characters' lives uh, until then. And I was all in on this, man. Uh, the second, I watched out the first time and I'm like, man, that is, that is something. And then, and then I just couldn't stop thinking about it. This is the first time I've gone back to see a movie in the theaters since I can't, I can't remember. It's got to be a few years. And it was just the second time. Let's put it this way: the second time it flowed a lot fat, it faster. Mm-hmm. It, it went a lot quicker than it did the first time for me, and I did appreciate it even more. It's, it, it is really, I think, just a fantastic film. Is it a masterpiece? I don't know. But if I had to choose one of the two, I'm, I'm leaning towards yes. So I guess, so all kidding aside, I mean, I know Chris likes to, especially when he disagrees with me, say that I'm wrong on everything. But if you'll listen into a little bit of what he said there, I've only seen this once. And I think if he had only seen it once, he may be closer to my opinion, or at least that was the same feeling he had walking out on it. I mean, I saw this yesterday, you know, I haven't had a lot of time to sit with it. You know, I've certainly been thinking about it and I, I guess I see, I, I got the point where he's trying to create this kind of recreation of this love letter to old Hollywood or at least sixties Hollywood. I wouldn't say old Hollywood, well, uh, but yeah, it but does... How great is that scene when we're going down the strip and all the neon signs are lighting yeah. up? I mean, there's so so much great stuff. Sorry, continue. right? I guess yes. I understand that there are great things to this, but I guess what I'm trying to say is to someone who's not a film 
nerd, right? Um, and who doesn't have a nostalgia for that era, does it work on its own? And I think aesthetically, yes, I think it does, but it doesn't have the kind of emotional reaction. I think that some of his other work does in some of the scenes that he has, I think the most effective scenes for me that really kind of ranched up the tension is when Brad Pitt's character cliff um, picks up the Manson family hitchhiker and goes back to spawn ranch, right? Where they're all staying. And I think that is probably the most effective sequence in the film for me, as far as kind of, you know, some of those kind of high tension film scenes that he's known for, you know, that's the closest thing we get to like, maybe to like, you know, the, beginning of inglorious bastards which i think is one of the greatest scenes i've ever seen but i I think it's kind of like it's weird to see quentin tarantino it seems to be he's kind of is he mellowing with in his older age is he kind of doing a different thing now i mean is it an unfair expectation that we always expect him to have this hyper violent talky thing probably i think it'd be fair to say if you walked away with this and you saw this watch this one time that i think you could be forgiven to saying that it may not be his strongest work and then if it requires repeat viewings and more time to kind of let it develop and marinate, then so be it. But as of right now, I would say it's a misfire overall. That's too that's too bad. I think, too, that Brad Pitt, for me, is a standout in this film. Oh, yeah. For Definitely. sure. I mean, Leo's good in it. Robbie's good in it. I mean, everybody actually is great. But Pitt really. And I think there it's because of – it's not just Pitt's performance. It's also how Tarantino – frames him for us how he how he displays him to us i think one of the key things for this film is that boat scene mm-hmm. so clearly that's tarantino commenting i think on natalie wood right mm-hmm. and the rumors that robert wagner killed her right but what's so effective about that boat scene is that he leaves it ambiguous right and all the pe- and i think how you interpret that scene shifts i think almost maybe how this whole film plays out for you I read a really good article about that particular scene. I think I want to post it in the show notes. I did tweet it out. So if you follow us on Twitter, you can find the link there. There's two really important things, I think, about this. I think the boat scene is integral to the film because how you interpret what happens next, as I said, shades Brad's pit character throughout the entire film. Mm -hmm. Running about Bruce Lee's portrayal, which we can talk about in a little bit, too. Mm, Okay. Um, I was unaware there was a controversy around that. Yeah, so, but I think Pitt's arc, as I said, his whole arc is entirely up to how you interpret that particular scene on the boat. And Mm. I think that's fascinating. There's also some concern with Robbie being underserved in this film. I think somebody asked Quentin Tarantino at Khan that she had like the fewest lines out of any of the main stars. And he like, I reject your hypothesis. And he's entirely (laughs) right. But I think she's really a a solid presence. I never got the, the, like I almost expected her to be like this figure that is kind of drifts in the background that we don't ever really know, but I don't think that's the case. And even Pitt and DiCaprio, they have the most lines, but it's still not a real talky film. You don't get those kind of Tarantino monologues that he's known for they don't have a ton of lines even in and of themselves compared to what a normal tarantino protagonist would right but it's i love the time that we spend with her as kind of her career and her whole life is is building and developing all around us and there's just this kind of sad heartache because you know what happens to her and how she's robbed of her potential career though 
her star it was she's also one of those things where she was supposed to be one of the big up and coming stars mm-hmm. and it kind of never really looked like that was actually going to happen right kind of what happened to Bruce Lee here in the states right he right. didn't blow up until he went home Right. So let's cut to that. So his daughter is very upset about how he was portrayed in this film. And um, she's saying that basically he was mocked by Tarantino. Now, I don't... Listen, how she feels about this is entirely valid. It's her father. She's she's entitled to feel how she feels. That I did not get that interpretation from this at all. At mm-hmm. one point, I think she wrote an op-ed about it too. She says, well, I'm watching this movie and I'm not sure if it was a daughter or maybe another writer stating that, you know, people are laughing at Bruce and laughing how he talked, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think more, it w- it's an enjoyable, fun scene. You know, from what I understand, I've done some reading about this because I thought this little minor controversy, if you even call it that, was fascinating to me. And from what I understand, you know probably better than I do. Mm-hmm. is that Bruce was slightly arrogant, right? He was. Mm-hmm. And he had a chip on his shoulder, and he was yep. kind of an angry guy when he was in the States. And I think that Tarantino, I think, does a good job of... His portrayal of him, for me, is more showing all the difficulty and the crap that Bruce Lee had to put up with trying to become a star here in the States, personified mm-hmm. by Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt's character, calling him Cato the entire yeah. time right yeah and then tarantino i think confirms his how do i put it, affectionate viewing or portrayal of lee by bringing him back two other times in the film as trainers right to to margot robbie and then of course i think well my possibly my biggest problem with this film is tarantino's inclusion of emile hirsch i don't know why that guy is working right now Mm-hmm. I think that was a tragic flaw and a, and a bad choice on him to hire him, considering all the crap going on with that jackass. But still, I don't know. I, I don't have the same issues that other people are having with that. What, do you have any thoughts? I guess you weren't, you're not as in on what's that kind of blew up over the last day or so. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard anything about that. Um, honestly, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Bruce Lee and still am. I don't, you know, I watched a lot of his stuff growing up. I watched a lot of his interviews and I think, you know, the kind of stuff that he Tarantino has the character say is the kind of stuff he said in interviews and in these things that he did in like this film thing, you know, even in, in just like the way he talked, that's how he sounded. It was actually a really good impression. And just the content is really close to what he said. It may be a little exaggerated, but it, it, I completely believed it was something that he would say. And mm-hmm. just from what I knew about him, or at least that persona. Now, obviously, his daughter knew him in a way that we never will. But obviously, his public persona, what he perceived that he showed out to everybody in the world, it seemed pretty close. Yeah. Fair enough. I think that Tarantino does a good job, too, of not really featuring Polanski. Yeah. at all in this and particularly Manson he's yeah. barely in this thing and he's not a focus of the film at all yeah so overall Matt I found this thing riveting especially I liked it a lot and that second viewing really solidified it for me uh, I think this thing is fantastic it's probably the best film I've seen so far this year so I'm giving it an A okay I'm gonna give it a B now and I will say this I know I kind of was critical on the film but 
the man hasn't really made a bad movie. It's all kind of in degrees, um, really, what you're talking about is his catalog. Um, but I reserve the right to change that on a repeated viewing at some point throughout the year because maybe it'll grow on me. I mean, I was very critical of Jackie Brown when it first came out because it wasn't what I expected. But, it, mm-hmm. again, it grew on me. So maybe that's what this will be. I just maybe I need more time to sit with it. But right now, today, giving it a B. And also look a little – Little shout out to friend to uh, fans of Stranger Things. Maya Hawk, who is Uma Thurman and Ian yeah. Hawk's daughter, has a little cameo at the end there, which is fun. You would that was one of the things that really made me angry. Not so much about the fact that she's in the film and she does a fine job. It's it's just that when you think about Hollywood and society, or even like people in elite areas of power and the country, yeah. the government, whatever, it's all the same people. Right? Yeah, it is. It's all children of people who are rich or famous to begin with. Yeah. People who can afford to go to, you know, to expensive schools and then go to acting school and not have to have a job. You know, like the like the Julian Casablanca's and the Strokes. You know, like the, yeah. Dan Auerbach hates that guy because yeah, you know, his dad would fit the bill while they were able to struggle while Auerbach and and uh, I'm blanking on Carney are you know struggling to make it. You know, I just. I don't know. I mean, she's fine, and she's. I'm. All, I'm halfway through Stranger Things this season, which is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, it's way better than season two. Yeah, it's my favorite season so far. I've granted I'm only yeah. halfway through, but every time I see her, I'm just thinking of this, just control and this, this op, this. Ugh. The opportunities of who you know when yeah. doors opens for you. Although, and can I just point out? Did it ever strike you with all the controversy that we found out about uh, the, the issue with Uma Thurman and the driving scene and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. How many shots that he has of his of people driving just in the way that she got hurt? Like, like there's scenes of yeah. Polanski and, and Tate driving in that convertible. Like, there's so many of them. Or even Booth and, yeah. and uh, Dalton driving. It just was weird the way he kind of put that out there. Like, I don't know if it was intentional or what. I don't think so. And I think part of the issue, too, is not it's it's the fact that the road itself had that turn. And, the, yeah. you know, that's, it's a whole – I think – I don't think it's that. I don't, uh, though I will say, any criticisms that you may have had about Tarantino's love and just what what would you call obsession, just overwhelming desire to show feet on the screen. <laughs> this time out, I think at this point, this is just an fu to all those people. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I mean they're all over the place. Oh, he's like, oh, you man, think I've been. Man- he even calls it out, I think, in one section. While while there's some feet directly in your face, he's talking about has a character talking about feet. So it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. Yeah, he's like, you think I've shown you some feet before? Oh, <laughs> you have no idea. Uh, a couple of just stray observations I thought were interesting. I love the dog's food. Wolf's teeth, good food for mean dogs. And the <laughs> yeah. flavors I caught were rat, bird, and raccoon. Yep. And then supposedly, I don't know how, if you stayed for the credits, but Tim Roth was in this film, but he was cut entirely. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm kind of curious what that was and if there'll be any extended cut released or something or some maybe some new edit of the film down the road. Right. All right. If you had a chance to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just like the film, this is one of the longest discussions we've had in one particular movie. Shoot us mm-hmm. an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Let's go ahead, Matt, and talk about what's coming up on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday. We didn't discuss this for the show, but I think it may be of keen interest to you. My class is full, Mr. Tolkien, full, with students who can translate Old English at least as quickly and skillfully as you, and have already had two terms to establish themselves. Good afternoon. 
Hell, Himmel. Professor? Since childhood, I have been fascinated with language. Obsessed with it. I've invented my own. Full, complete languages. Look, this is... It's, it's everything. From the, the breast hoard. My heart, the treasure of the breast. And the drawing? I made stories. Legends. After all, what is language for? It's, it's not just the naming of things, is it? It's the lifeblood of a culture, a people. Yeah, exactly. So that's Nicholas Holt. He stars along with Illy Collins, Matt, and Tolkien. Is it Tolkien? <clears throat> Tolkien? I, I've always said Tolkien, but when you hear like Peter Jackson and the guys who are in the Lord of the Rings things, they always say Tolkien. So maybe it's Tolkien. I don't really know. There you go. So this is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday. Did that, was that film of any interest to you? Did you actually get to see it or no? Yeah, I was going to go see it, um, but I just never got around to it. My dad wanted to see it, so I was going to go take him to see it, but we just, uh, it was in and out so fast that it, we didn't really get a chance to catch it. So um, that, I'll catch that, and I'll catch uh, his other, Peter Jackson, speaking of his film, that documentary that's coming out soon. So the shit is available, so we should check that out too. Sounds good. Includes audio commentary by the director, Dome Karakowski, as well as some deleted scenes. Detective Pikachu is coming out. Oh, I don't have that drop anymore. If you get it from Best Buy, there's a steel book. If you want the 3D version, you have you can only get it from Best Buy. Includes a detective mode. I don't know what that is. An alternate opening, some audio commentaries, and outside the actor's studio with Ryan Reynolds and some other stuff. The Conjuring Universe expansion film, The Case of La Llorona, is being released. Includes some deleted scenes. Man, that was such a... Such a loss. That thing could have been really interesting and launched a whole new what arm of the Conjuring series by investigating different myths and horror mm-hmm. characters from across the globe. And it's just it's just not good. The Souvenir. A young film student in the early 80s become romantically involved with a complicated and untrustworthy man. Includes an audio commentary by the writer-director Johanna Hogg. Tiger Milk is being released. It's a German film. It's supposed to be pretty good. Best friends Nina and Jamila are 14 years old, Matt. Summer has begun and Berlin is their playground. Sticky-lipped and heavy-eyed from drinking tiger milk, which is a mix of passion fruit, milk, and brandy. They flirt and use their innocent charm for fun. This summer, it's going to happen. Sex and true love with Nico and Lucas. But when Jamila's family is threatened with deportation back to Iraq, the two girls realize their friendship is more important than ever. Supposed to be one of those coming of age films, but set in currently in Germany where they're having that immigration issue where things are getting a little shaky in some sides. Okay. The latest DC animated film, Batman Hush, is being released. Includes a steelbook from Target. Best Buy has a Hush action figure. Includes some DC Vault cartoons, Batman and Superman Hour, two from that. Audio commentary by the executive producer. And then a showcase of the next upcoming film as well. There's a Sergeant Rock animated short, but I guess the new one's going to feature Catwoman. I don't know. So you can check that out. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing An Angel at My Table. The harrowing autobiography of Jeanette Frame, New Zealand's most distinguished author. The film describes her journey from an impoverished childhood marked by tragedy to a misdiagnosis of schizophrenia resulting in electroshock therapy and narrowly escaped lobotomy to finally international literary fame. Includes a brand new high-definition digital transfer, audio commentary featuring the actors and director and producer, a short documentary from 2002, six deleted scenes, and more. 
Arrow is releasing the Brooke Shields horror film Alice, Sweet Alice. It's a brand new 2K restoration of the original theatrical version from the original camera negative. Some brand new audio commentaries as well as some archival ones. A deleted scene and a whole bunch of other stuff. I remember watching bits of this when I was a kid getting babysat and it scared the hell out of me. And I haven't seen it since. Your Your straight to DVD pick of the week, Attrition. Steven Seagal is back, Matt. When a Thai girl with mythical powers goes missing, Axe, well, I'm assuming that's Seagal's character, and his old team unite in an attempt to bring her back. What should we be streaming this week? So in honor of our boy QT, um, I rustled up, uh, tracked down what films are available on the various streaming services. So I'm going to recommend them all. Not a whole lot available, unfortunately, but um, you can watch his first directorial film, Reservoir Dogs, about a bank heist gone wrong on Amazon Prime. The film that launched him into a household name, Pulp Fiction, is available on Netflix. And Inglorious Bastards and Hateful Eight are also available on Netflix. In my opinion, his my favorite of his films is not available, unfortunately, but it gives you a good little slice of his early and later films for you to check out. There you go. And I think the sale is still on. They have that digital sale on iTunes. I broke down and bought it. Did you? And it also was on, what did you use? You know, I used on... Voodoo. So Voodoo, yeah. Movies Anywhere, I bought but That's where I got it. It includes, was again, Pulp Fiction, both Kill Bills, mm-hmm. uh, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Death Proof, and From Dust Till Dawn. And From Dust Till Dawn, yeah. So I didn't have yeah. those. I don't think I had any of those digitally. And a few of them I didn't have in HD. I just had them on DVD. Ugh, so. horrors. Horrors of horrors. I know, right? I bought Reservoir Dogs twice. I still have my Mr. Brown DVD because I believe that's the rarest of all of them when it came okay. out. Okay. Was, you know, the QT cover. That's right. Slipcase, if you will. Awesome. Oh, man, I have one quick question before you move on. Sure. Did you hear that? I don't know if this is official, but I'm hearing rumblings that James Gunn is in talks to take over the DCEU and kind really? of run the whole thing. That would be exciting. I'd be very curious to see what he's going to do, um, what he could do with it. I would. How do you feel about that as the big DCEU guy of the two of us? I, I would be excited about it. If this comes mm-hmm. to fruition, what he's able to do with those Guardians films, making basically an unknown property two of the most fun films in that entire grouping of movies. Right. Uh, I think he understands the source material and he'd be able to inject some real stakes, but still have them be fun. And I, I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, I think, it'd, I think if it's, it'd be a good choice. I think yeah. it'd work out. Yeah. I would be on board to see that. Good times. Good times. All right. Speaking of heart crushing yeah. defeats and just getting beat up. <laughs> Let's spend a few minutes talking about Dragged Across Concrete. You're losing perspective and compassion. There's a reason. I'm sitting behind this desk running things. And you're out there with a partner that's 20 years younger than you. Hey, Anthony's got a mouth with his own engine, but he's solid. I'm thinking about the kind of future I can offer my girlfriend. Pops is a yesterday who ain't worth words. Good heavens and praise be to him. Your absence was a weight upon us. Thank you, Mr. Edmonton. I don't like doing things with so many question marks everywhere. There's a lot of imbeciles out there. You know what kills me? Is when just horrible people do really good work. Mm. And it just (laughs) drives me crazy. (laughs) So, Matt, why don't you tell the fine folks on the road, at home, doing their laundry, wherever they may be, what is Dragged Across Concrete all about? 
what's it all about? That's a, a tough one. You always give me the tough ones. Yep. Um, so it's kind of like three stories that are kind of circling each other and they kind of see how they come together. So first there's uh, Brett Ridgman and uh, Anthony Luracetti, um, two cops played by Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn who have been suspended for the force for um, brutality, police brutality, getting filmed, um, doing enhanced interrogation techniques on a particular suspect um, and how they're trying to, you know, get themselves back into good graces and get some money. And then there's uh, Henry Johns and his buddy Biscuit. Henry just got out of the joint and he decides he needs to make some quick cash and Biscuit has a score that might be available to him to get on. And then there's uh, Vogelman, the high-end professional criminal who's in town for a job that suddenly is on and is ready to go. And really, it from there, it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie about uh, slowly getting to how those three disparate threads come together. So I think I said in the opening of the show, Matt, that Zaylor is, I think, our most nihilistic mainstream director working to- today. I mean, he really just likes to pick at that exposed nerve all the time. He's a guy who wants to punish you and wants you to face kind of the emotional impact of what you're, air quotes, enjoying. I think the introduction of Jennifer Carpenter's character in this film exists for that singular purpose to remind you how much you might enjoy my brutal horror films based because I think all of these basically are horror films <laughs> that he's done that uh, this is what you're watching and I want you to realize it. So I don't know if his films can truly be enjoyed. I <laughs> But they are certainly experiences. Mm. And I will say that Dragged Across Concrete, even too, at times, is actually quite funny. Mm. But there are no good guys really in this film, right? Everybody here is dirty. And though the purest character is one of the criminals, traditionally how you would describe them, because he's trying to do what he's doing for basically the right reasons. Our anti-heroes here are, are, are also the villains. It's... <sighs> I don't know, man. It's I. I was watching this thing, and just every time his films is like a punch to the gut, and it just drives me crazy too because he is a complete and utter a hole. But this is vintage Mel Gibson. I mean, mm-hmm. he's really good in this. Yeah, and it kills me to say that. It's interesting to pair this film up with a Tarantino film because all of his films star generally horrible people that you should not be rooting for even the quote-unquote heroes that are even more pure heroes like the bride i mean she's still a killer i mean and she's a you know she's a bad person it's interesting that you've got zoller who's saying here you're watching this and you're enjoying this but i want you to realize that these people are horrible people and this is why you should really confront you with that whereas quentin is saying these are really exciting people and this is really exciting stuff. And let's just not think about really what this implies. They're kind of like in their own little worlds mm-hmm. where it's more like bad stuff happening to bad people. So it's okay. Kind of thing. You know? yep. so, but this, it, I hesitate to call it enjoyable. I would say it's less, less, I think I, well, less watchable than bone Tomahawk or maybe brawl and cell block. What is it? 99? Subblock 99? Is that what it is? I believe so, yeah. Yep. Okay. So, but it is brutal. But I think it's also, at the same time, it's a lot more straightforward. It's a very slow film. Like, it takes mm-hmm. its real meandering time to get where it's going. But 
I think ultimately it's kind of like in a way it's an homage to kind of like those straightforward seventies pot boiler noir kind of crime films. Yeah. Um, taking like the long way to get there instead of being tight, it kind of lets itself breathe and it really kind of builds this thing really, really slowly until it just kind of blows up, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I agree entirely. I like one of my notes is it's just like a 10 car pile up of a movie where, it's just at times just so brutal, but you you kind of can't look away while you're yeah. watching it. I mean, I'm gonna give this a B, but I don't know who you recommend this to. <laughs> right? It's it's a, it's one of the most hard boiled kind of cop bad guy shoot 'em up films you'll see. But just like Cell Block, you know, the ninety nine, it's like you know, it's a brawl. I should say it's it's man, it's just brutal at times. And just yeah. everybody is horrible. Yeah. So it's I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what to tell you, folks. It's just if, if you're in for some at a time snappy dialogue, couple laughs, uh, some great performances, and some hyper violence, then you're gonna love this thing and hate it at the same time. But I'm I'm giving it a B. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a B minus. Um, I think I docked it a, a bit, you know, whatever a, a third of a letter grade, half a letter grade to just because of how slow it is. I don't know if I'm losing patience for such things, but it, it seemed to stretch out maybe more than it needed to um, at times. But yeah, I agree with Chris. I don't know if it's something that you really will enjoy, but it is something that can be experienced. Honestly, if anybody that you run into, ladies and gentlemen out there, if they tell you that any of his films are, if any of Zoller's films are like one of their favorite movies and they love it, you run away. You just <laughs> cut ties with that person because there's that boy and or girl just ain't right, you know. So <laughs> he did write Puppet Master: The Littlest Reich. Oh, which, he did, which okay. I've seen I, I and enjoyed. Okay, but yeah, now that's a little yeah, it's a little rough. If you've had a chance to see. Drag across concrete. Oh boy. Okay. Shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. Speaking of tough sits, none of these characters are tough to watch. We are now going to reveal our five favorite Quentin Tarantino characters. Matt, it killed me. It did. This guy did not make the list. Mr. Hey, Mister. What? You were in that fight. The fight on the radio. You're the fighter? Let me give you that idea. No, come on. You're him. I know you're him. Tell me you're him. You killed the other boxing man. He's dead? The radio said he was dead. Sorry about that, Floyd. What does it feel like? What what it feel like? Killing a man. That's Bruce Willis as the very prosperous Mr. Butch. Butch Coolidge, of course, from Pulp Fiction. I always trying to work in some Bruce Willis action whenever I can. Did you see my big photo I posted on my birthday, Matt, on our Instagram feed? I did. I found a copy of his album, The Return of Bruno, on vinyl. 
I, I honestly do not understand your understand your love. That would have been five dollars out of kept in my pocket. I don't <laughs> understand what your love for for that is. I, you have some you have some odd tastes, my friend. I do. I mean, there's just there's just like this one thing that'll just leap out. I'm like, really? That's what that's the one, huh? I was very excited about. It. I also picked up Star Trek: The Motion Picture on vinyl. Uh, that soundtrack, that score is just top shelf. And I got a bunch of other stuff. I had a fun, fun little day on my birthday, running around and shopping and all. So good, good times. And I got us on 4K for 13 bucks. Amazon had it on sale for 13 bucks for like a day or so. So wow, I was able to grab that bad bear too. Lucky me! Wow, look at you, Matt. Why don't you start us off? Who is your fifth favorite Quentin Tarantino character? Now, I, I will accept characters that he's written in films he has not directed. Okay, I don't have any. Just to kind of do a little spoiler yeah. for you, yeah. But I would accept it because they're characters he's written. Okay, I didn't. I didn't even include those. Um, I'd probably put the geckos and maybe an honorable mention because they're a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I didn't have any of those on my list. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So I did have a lot. I did have some trouble with this because again, kind of what I was saying before. All of these people to a person are bad people. They're all killers, and they're horrible, horrible people. And even some of them are the villains but i digress i'm gonna go through this don't judge me my number five is uh leo dicaprio as calvin candy mm. just a smirking um insidious just slimy southern slave owner guy and it's just he is just a horrible human being but just Leo DiCaprio just just does such a good job portraying him that you just kind of watch him while you're while he's on screen and it's fantastic. No, I uh, I, I think that's entirely right. I think yeah. you have my curiosity. <laughs> now you have my attention. Yeah, no, that's a good pick. Didn't quite make the cut for me, but it is a good one. Man, yeah. So my number five was actually originally going to be the clip I was going to use for this segment, but I. I just couldn't get away from him because I just love him so damn much. And that is Steve Buscemi as Mr. Pink. He's one of my all-time favorites. He's, he's a ton of fun in Reservoir Dogs. His whole I don't tip speech. Yeah. And then he's also the smartest man in that film. He knows exactly what's going down and why. And he's the one guy who tries to stick with the rules to try and make it out alive. So... And I love Buscemi, and I think this is one of his best performances. It, it to- Tarantino and Buscemi totally capture just Buscemi at his craziness, right? As craziest as everything, he's able to harness everything that makes him who he is, and it is just one of my all-time favorites. And then he QT film. Yeah, he is. I just watched Reservoir Dogs the other day just because I bought those that that. Uh pack you know online and it, you know i've been working my way through them and i you forget how good steve Buscemi is in that film because he is fantastic he's mm-hmm. by far the best one in that film he's great yeah everybody goes with mr white because it's so memorable yeah i'm sorry, I'm sorry well and mr, mr. blonde mr yeah. blonde yeah i'm sorry mr blonde but still i think yeah pink is great man all right what do you got so my number four is um, the condemned in the hateful eight Daisy Domergue, uh, played by Jennifer Jason Leigh. I think she does an, a fantastic performance in this film. There's a lot of strong characters in this. I mean, Sam Jackson's great. I have a huge affinity for Walter Goggins, so I love uh, Mannix uh, just because I love Walter Goggins mm-hmm. or Walton Goggins. But I think, I think the like kind of pathos and kind of like 
somehow relatability of what Jennifer Jason Lee can somehow bring to that, I think kind of elevates her role. And I think she's fascinating to watch. That's an interesting pick. Didn't make my list, but um, that's, that's interesting. My number four is not a cheat. Okay. Because what he's able to develop by adapting the source material and then the performance by Pam Greer really, I think, brings us to life, and that's Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's based off of the Elmore, Elmore Leonard novel, but I feel that QT brings enough to it that it becomes one of his characters. And it, Pam Greer is so good in that film. And one of the interesting things about it, too, it's one of the only films where his main character is an underdog, right? So I just, what she has to go through to survive and uh, get through that thing is just, I don't know. I just, whenever I think of Tarantino films, she, Pam Greer always just pops into my head kind of immediately as one of the better performances in any of his movies. (laughs) And she's just effortlessly cool and... As I said, she's one of the few underdogs he really has. So I, Jackie's my number four. Okay. That's a good pick. Very good pick. All right. So my number three is the man, the bad mf himself, Jules Winfield, uh, played by Samuel Jackson, in which I would argue is his best role, his most iconic role, as one half of the barely competent hitman muscle duo of Pulp Fiction. Vincent Vega got a lot of the attention when that first came out um, because it was kind of revitalizing Travolta's career. But man, out of the two of them, Jules. Jules all day long. I agree. In fact, I agree so much that he's my number three as well. (laughs) Okay. As I'm looking at this list, I'm confident we have the same... Oh, I'm 100% sure we have the same number one. For sure. But I don't know. I don't know. We may be off. In our, okay. in our, we may be swapped, but I know our ones and twos are the same. You think so? Oh yeah, all right. I think so. So, but yeah, I agree with you. Winf- uh, Sam Jackson and Winfield, he is for me, he is the driving heart of that film, of Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. He's the engine that makes that thing go. He is the most fun. He is the most entertaining. He's the one that I think snaps you to attention every time he's on the screen. The thing jump back forth in time, all these interweaving plots. But when Sam Jackson's on the screen, man, he is the guy. So I agree with you. Jules Winfield is my number three. Okay. All right. So my number two is my favorite protagonist in any uh, Quentin Tarantino film. It's it's Uma Thurman as the bride. I have a real affection for Kill Bill, probably more than most of my esteemed podcast nobodies uh, do, just looking at everybody's lists. Um, but I, I love Kill Bill. I love it so much, and I just love um, Uma Thurman just throughout that whole thing. She's just such a badass, and I, I just I cannot get enough watching it. So there you go. I think that I was exactly right. So you have spoiled one of mine, <laughs> and I'll now spoil yours. My okay. number two is Hans Landa. Mm. You have the possibly the best opening 20 minutes or whatever it is of any Quentin Tarantino film. Mm-hmm. His interrogation on that French farm is one of the most stressful scenes you will ever watch. And it is so, he portrays that so beautifully with this calm, here, basically, I'm here to help you, you know, just just talk to me and we'll work something out. But the, there, there's, the sinisterness is still there the entire time. He exudes this menace and fear in this package of this genteel guy who pulls out the Sherlock Holmes pipe. 
and I think inevitably why mm-hmm. our numbers why our numbers are swapped is because he doesn't have the screen time that my number one does. Okay, but that's fair. Still, uh, yeah, number two for me is Hans Landa. Okay. Well, number one for me is Hans Landa. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw Inglorious Bastards, it he was just a revelation. He was a, an unknown actor to me. I had never seen anything he had ever in, and he was just this guy. You know, Christoph Waltz just absolutely embodies this character, and he kind of in you know instills this kind of jovial like if you just met him on the street he'd be the kindly german guy that you know you'd like to sit down and go to the beer garden with he would be absolutely friendly and then man when he flicks on that switch he's just absolutely chilling he is just a scary dude and just everything about it is i just absolutely love hans lada it was just tough for me to say just because bookended by him and calvin candy who they are those Mm -hmm. are just those are just crazy characters, but I, I would watch Christoph Waltz play Hans Landa all day long. Yep, there you go. So, Matt, then who's my number one? It's The Bride. Indeed it is. Uma Thurman as The Bride from Kill Bill. Clearly only one film, according to Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But, yeah, I think one of the most interesting and riveting performances per- portrayed in any Tarantino film. The roller coaster ride that woman goes through in that film, as well as delivering some of the greatest stunts in any of his movies. Now, granted, I know that Zoe Bell is doing those stunts, though some of them clearly Uma did, right? Uh, but still, it is one of it is my favorite performance in any of the films. She's able to bring that feeling of loss and conquering all the horror that she had to deal with while she gets her revenge, and yet also be sensitive when her child shows up. I cannot, man, man. I might watch Kill Bill Volume One. I remember I was at the theater and when that ends and he asks if she knows her child is still alive i had to pick up my jaw off the floor you know <laughs> so it's but yeah no uma is my number one so there you go there you go honorable mentions i just all of them what do you think yeah you pretty much you could kind of just pick and choose if you want samuel l as steven in uh django unchained just a just a he disappears into that role and he's just a scary dude just the way he interacts with that vincent vega obviously yep. iconic uh king schultz mm-hmm. Christoph Waltz, Unchained. i actually have a real affection for death proof i think a lot of people consider it his weakest film but i probably put it in the middle of the pack just because i love it so much so i've got stuntman mike in there as well yeah aldo reigns um brad pitt's yep. performance in inglorious bastards and mr pink and I would also throw Abernathy in there, but that's just because I have a, I'm a crush on Rosario Dawson and I like watching her. That's a fair point. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Mary Elizabeth uh, Winston. Winston, yeah. I had Winston the Wolf. I had all the people you named, but also Winston, Mr. White. We talked about Django Freeman, uh, Mia Wallace, Major Marquess, like you said earlier, Captain Coons, <laughs> Christoph, Chris Christoph, Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And I do have Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton, but uh, I would go Booth before Dalton, I think, for sure. Yeah, I'd definitely put Cliff. Yeah. He and was Arch- really Archie Hickok uh, from uh, Inglorious Bastards, too. Yeah. Michael Fassbender is, is a lot of fun in that thing. Who are your five favorite Quentin Tarantino characters? I can't wait to find out. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up next week on the big show. It's an it's an all names double feature. <laughs> We're gonna do Hobbs and Shaw. Oh dear God! And 
we're going to do Holmes and Watson, which could be even worse, potentially, yeah. from what I understand. Watch, though, it's going to be like, you know, though I haven't seen it, I think, since it came out. I would think one of the, I'm one of five people who enjoyed Cop Out, the Bruce mm. Willis, Tracy Morgan movie. Right, so, right. So um, I wonder if that'll be the same here. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. You know, I mean, I just like to point out, I mean, Step Brothers got like a 27 or a 28% Rotten Tomato score, and Did that is a classic. Really? Yeah, I think it was. I think it's really low. Maybe not. Maybe not the twenties, but it's definitely in the thirties. Like yeah, it was definitely a lot ready. Hope you're ready. Let's find out. I'm on a boat. Fifty-five. Really? I thought it was way lower than that. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's gone up over time. I started having uh, Mrs. First Run watch Walk Hard because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I love that film. Such a good movie. We got about half. We got. You don't want none of that. You don't want none of this. <laughs> Is it habit forming? <laughs> no, you cannot get addicted. It makes everything better. You don't want none of this. <laughs> oh, that's such a good film. So that I think is an underrated comedy. I think everybody slept on, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I'm just gonna look that up. I'm curious. What did Walk Hard get for a Rotten Tomato score? Seventy-four percent, certified fresh. I'll take it. Only two you kind of never people know come karate. Pay for drugs. <laughs> just over and over again. And you never paid for any of the drugs. <laughs> Not once. Once. <laughs> All right. Check us out at thefirstrun.com, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Do a search. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. That's how other people will find the show. I'd appreciate it. Give us a review. I will read it on air. And that's going to be it, man. Why don't we go ahead and take an extended break and we will see you soon. Hands are registered as lethal weapons. We get into a fight. I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. 